Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Chris Blair, the owner of The Listening Room. Now, Chris started his career on the music side of things, chasing a career as a musician growing up in St. Louis, and then moving to Nashville in his early 20s to dive into songwriting. Now, as he began to play more writer's rounds around Music City, he noticed there wasn't many great venues for songwriters. There was the Bluebird Cafe, and then there were just other small venues around town. That's when he started The Listening Room. It hasn't been an easy journey, but he has built the venue up to be one of the premier spots for songwriters in Nashville. We had a great time talking about the journey and how it has led to many great things within his career. So please enjoy our conversation with Chris Blair of The Listening Room. Let's start on the music side and take me back to six years old and I believe standing up for your first solo. I don't know if it was in church or where that may have been. Take me back to that time in your musical history and what that meant for your love of music. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's as long as I can remember, I was singing. So, um, you know, the love of music was just always there. So, yeah, at six years old, I was it, this was at school. Oh, and, okay. Um, uh, the choir director for the eighth grade choir um, asked if I would sing the solo with the eighth grade choir. So, yeah, that was uh, that was my first taste of uh, being on the stage by myself and kind of kind of leading it. And I just fell in love and, you know, went on from there. That's amazing. So how did they know that you had a voice? Uh, you just hearing me sing and in, in, uh, choir, you know, just, uh, you know, just normal the, the choir that we went to at school. And, um, you know, apparently I. I was on pitch and doing things at a, at six years old that most kids couldn't do. And, um, so, you know, to me, it was just natural, but it was, it kind of started that, uh, that journey. Right. And so within the family before six years old, was it your parents that sort of built that up within you? Were they music lovers as well? Music lovers? Yes. Singers? No, not at all. Um, my grandpa sang in, uh, in the church choir and, uh, he was pretty good, but no, no one else really in my family was musical. Um, you know, and it just, again, it just came, came kind of natural. And I just, you know, I, I always loved, um, sports and still do today. Um, but you know, that was where my brother would shine. Um, you know, and I just was kind of like, you know, the participant and, uh, but anything music related, you know, whether it, be singing or guitar or piano or just, you know, that's just where I kind of escaped and was just in my own world. And I, I loved it. Right. And you mentioned your grandpa being a singer. Now talk about him and your grandparents. And I saw you mention their farm where you spent a lot of time growing up. Talk about them and that farm and what that meant for your, just your life, not even just music, but just your life and growing up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, the country roots, I guess you could say, um, you know, work ethic, um, that I got from my mom and dad and, and both sets of grandparents, you know, like 
the farm, um, you know, my grandparents had 500 acres. Oh, wow. Outside of St. Louis. And I would stay out there quite a bit, especially on the summers. And, you know, I'd get up at, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning with my grandpa and go feed cattle and milk cows and, um, you know, bale hay. And, you know, just, it's just, it's just what we did, you know? And then, um, my grandparents on my mom's side were both entrepreneurs and okay. uh, both, you know, both had successful businesses that they ran. And so, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and on about, about the influences and, and all that, um, from several different aspects of family. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it was great to kind of, you know, be, be on the farm and, you know, just a lot of fun and riding horses and playing in the creeks and fishing and, you know, just all of those kind of things. But also again, yeah, it was just, it was hard work. Right. Yeah. And so growing up, more in the city in St. Louis with your family, but having sort of that country outlet, where were you, your musical inspirations at that point? Was it mainly country music or was it different influences being within the city of St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I grew up really not listening to any country music. Oh, okay. I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't, it wasn't because I didn't like it. I just didn't know it. Um, you know, I mean, I, and, and, I, you know, I, I listened to, you know, eighties rock. I mean, you know, I'm, I was born in, in 75 and today's actually my birthday. Oh, and happy the, birthday. It's yeah, my son's and, birthday too, actually. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, so yeah, you know, I grew up with the, uh, the, the rock hair bands, you know, poison and skid row and Motley Crue. And, you know, I mean, just that's, that's, that was my music. Um, when I was really getting inspired by like, you know, what I would listen to all the time. Um, in eighth grade, I switched schools and went from a school where no one listened to country music to a school where that's the only thing they listened to. Oh, okay. And uh, that was also around the time that Garth was becoming massive. And um, so that was my first concert um, was Garth Brooks. And, you know, I was like, this is a dude with a big cowboy hat and bell buckle singing Billy Joel songs. I mean, it was like, this is, this guy's awesome. This is like, I can get into this. Right. So that really is what opened the door uh, into like me going down this rabbit hole of country music. And then, you know, through that fell in love with, you know, the Hanks and, you know, the Waylon and you know, just all of, all of the older, um, country music that kind of defined the genre um you know and then of course the the 90s and early 2000s i mean that was when i was like that was country was all i was doing then and that's when i started playing in a band and traveling and putting songs out to radio myself and you know wearing the the big cowboy hat and big belt buckle and you know went through that phase and so yeah and what age was it when you started to sort of get into that band mode and start joining bands, did you have high school bands or was it not until sort of after high school that you started to play within bands? Yeah, it was, it was uh, my senior year of high school um, that um, 
my grandpa passed away and I sang at his funeral. Um, but I sang to a track because at that point I couldn't play guitar and, um, and wasn't good enough on piano. Um, I, I play piano now and I played piano when I was four. Oh, but, okay. You know, it was, uh, it was one of those things I never really stuck with. So I was in this church singing a song at my grandpa's funeral and a great, great, great uncle down the line that I had never really met before was also there. And he was playing a 12 string guitar. Um, and he sang a song as well. Oh, okay. And I remember just staring at that going, that is so cool that he can, he can do that. So I told my mom and dad, like, that's what I wanted for a graduation present as a guitar. So they, they got me uh, my first guitar and um, you know, I just, that didn't put it down and started teaching myself chords and um, you know, I kind of play by ear. Oh, okay. So it was, it was really, it was then that I, um, you know, kind of, kind of put a band together. So, you know, really all through college, I was playing in, you know, cow fields, we could find a, a hay trailer and get everything off of it and get a PA out there. I mean, we would just throw our own parties and just, you know, play wherever we could. Wow. And so that first band that you put together, was that really the band that you took forward with you? Or were there a few iterations of it as you went along until you made that point where you really started to make a push towards this being a career? Yeah, there were several, um, there were several people that I would play with. So, you know, it wasn't, um, it was, it was really just who, who I could get together. You know, a lot of people do that now, you know, even the people that play on Broadway, you know, it's, they've got their, their main guys. Right. Right. Like, yeah. If there's a, if there's a gig to be played and the drummer's not available, you're not going to not do the, the show. Right. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, I never really had, um, the, the band that went on the road with me, um, as kind of a full-time band. Um, for more than a couple of years. So, you know, but I, I did have, um, you know, the, the main guys that played with me when I was putting songs out to radio, that was, that was really the only time, you know, that, that couple year mark that, um, you know, it was the same guys all the time and, um, you know, still love those guys, very good talent. And, uh, you know, it was fun. Right. And before we dive more into the music, let's talk about that entrepreneur side of your personality as well. And the early businesses within, I believe it was around eight or nine when you started to create your own little businesses. And I believe a grass cutting service was one of the first businesses you started. Talk about that side of the brain that began at that young age and what that meant to you back in those years. Yeah. So um, good questions, by the way. This is did some digging on me. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I kind of always had that entrepreneurial spirit and, um, you know, just wanted to, wanted to make money and be successful. And, um, you know, my dad had, you know, the best yard in the neighborhood and, you know, so I like, I would watch him mow and the lines were perfect and, you know, just, and still today, you know, it's like, so yeah, just, I, um, I started mowing lawns and, um, and, and 
doing that so that I could get a bike or, you know, whatever. So right, yeah, it was just fun, but you know, fast forward to kind of how I played that into the, into the music. I mean, I like Blair is my middle name. Okay. You know, my, my full legal name is Christopher Blair Shussel and Shussel is when you see it on paper, nobody could ever pronounce it. Right. So <laughs> I started going by Blair with my music because it was a lot easier to say. Um, but with the music, like I didn't have a manager at the time. I didn't have a booking agent at the time, you know, so I would literally take that, that entrepreneurial kind of focus. And I would call these places and say, Hey, my name is Chris Shussel. I represent this, this artist out of Nashville. His name is Chris Blair. He's a new and up and comer. And like, I was basically pitching myself, but I was, I would get a lot further because people would be like, Oh, he's got representation. They just right, didn't know. Yeah. So yeah. And what did that progression look like within the St. Louis music scene and building yourself up? Like, was there a country scene that you were able to build yourself up within? Yeah, there was. I, I was very close with um, the, the couple big radio stations in St. Louis um, and, you know, was lucky enough to they were playing my music, um, you know, when, at the time, pretty much any big artists that would come through town. Um, we were, we were able to open up for a lot of them, um, you know, and then, and then playing a lot of fairs and festivals regionally and Walmart grand openings in Indiana and Arkansas. I mean, you know, it was just, it was random crazy stuff, but yeah, it was, we, we had a pretty decent following, which is, you know, what led me to move to Nashville originally to chase that dream. Right. And so how did the timeline work? Because I saw, I believe that you also went to university at some point around Nashville and St. Louis. So what did that timeline look like of St. Louis University moving to Nashville and all of that working together? Yeah. So I graduated high school in 93, went to Southeast Missouri State University. Um, that's where I really started playing a lot and, um, focusing a lot more on my music than I did my grades. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was always a good student. I just, you know, it was, my focus was like, all I wanted to do was be the next Garth Brooks. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, 96, 97 when, um, you know, I had a really solid band that started to to make some traction um and it was 97 and 98 that we started putting music out to radio and and getting some play and um and then you know just continued to do that and um uh kind of again like the local st louis thing regionally around that area you know um anywhere in the midwest that we could drive to in our 12 passenger van and a trailer and, you know, um, and then it was 2003 that, um, Doug Howard, who at the time was with Lyric street records. Um, you know, I was sending everything I could to Nashville. And at that point had, um, some management that was helping out, but, um, yeah, I met with, I met with Doug and, he basically was like, Hey, like we want to work with you. Um, 
but you need to live in Nashville. Right. Yeah. So I drove back to St. Louis and, um, I, I bought a house, uh, not long before that, um, right down the street from my brother. Uh, my brother's like my best friend and, you know, it was just like, was going to be great. It was right down the street. It was, it was, it was going to be awesome, but yeah, sold, sold my house, quit my job. And two weeks later I was in a U-Haul driving to driving to Nashville without a place to stay. Oh, wow. And did I see that during that time, during that move, you and your buddy Jamal, I think maybe it was, you were both working corporate jobs and you both made the decision to leave those jobs and move to Nashville at the same time together. Um, Jamal was a buddy that is here in Nashville. Oh, okay. So we were working banking jobs together. Um, he was in marketing advertising and I was, I had a finance background. Um, again, just a crazy, just crazy story. Cause I just wanted to learn more about it. So one summer in college, instead of taking the summer off, I went and got my life and health and series six and 63 licenses. Um, never thinking I'd do anything with it, but just cause I wanted to know how to invest my other, my money instead of trusting somebody else. So, oh, okay. But I took those licenses when I moved to Nashville and I was like, all right, well I'll get a, I'll get a banker's job. Cause that, that will allow me to get off of work early and go do music at night, which is what I, what I did. I'd be in a suit, you know, all day long and I'd get off at five and I would drive to the back alley of Tootsie's on Broadway and change into jeans and a t-shirt. And I would play, I played Tootsie's five nights a week for a long time. Oh, wow. But, um, but yeah, Jamal and I both kind of took that leap around the same time. And, um, he, uh, he started his marketing company called empire and, uh, he's still doing great at that. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. We both, both jumped in. That's awesome. And so let's talk about the time then that the listening room sort of comes into focus and what point was it where you saw it and thought this, this could be a thing. Maybe this is a path I should take. Yeah. Um, so we started listening room in 2006, um, and, uh, had a partner um, that had it established in Franklin, Tennessee. So I partnered up with him and we started doing it together. Um, but yeah, it was the, it was, it was going out and playing different writers rounds myself. And there are a lot of great venues in town. So it was, for me, it was um, the venues that were focused on the songwriters. There really was only, a couple that were doing that and really only one that had a good name, like the bluebird. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but still like, you know, and I, and I like, I love the bluebird. Um, you know, um, they, Erica that runs it is a, a dear, dear friend and it's great. It just, for me, it was, it was a smaller, uh, setting, it, you know, and, and I, I wanted to create this larger type of venue that, had really good food and really good drinks and um and the best sound in nashville um you know the the sound is very very important to me so you know i don't complain these playing other places other rooms around town where the sound was just second and the food was 
you know, whatever they could get frozen on a truck and, you know, microwave or dropping a fryer, you know, it was just right to me. I, that's, that's what was missing is like to, to take all of those things and create this, this experience that all works hand in hand and to connect people with the stories behind the songs and let the songwriter really share their talent, whether it be a, a new up and coming artist um, or writer that no one's ever heard of, um, or whether it be, you know, a, a, a writer that is playing a number one hit that, you know, so well from the radio, but you're hearing it from their perspective and how they wrote it and why they wrote it. And, um, you know, to me, it's like you, there, there's the artists have the gift to create these songs right in the studio mm -hmm. and share it with their fans and they do a great job of it. But if they didn't write it to me personally, when you hear that song from the writer themselves, you will hear more passion and emotion and, and feeling behind that song than you'll ever hear it from the artist that performs it. It's just, right. it, it, it's, it's mind blowing. And it's, uh, it's just really what I loved. And that's really, I wrote songs before I moved to Nashville, but I never co-wrote. I never sat in a room and wrote with other people. And it was kind of this path that I was going down chasing the artist dream and, and then starting to like write just for that, where all of a sudden I was like, man, this is like, this is cool. Um, chasing lyrics and coming up with melodies and, and building this, you know, whatever song. And there's a lot of bad ones that we did you know, to, get, <laughs> to get to the good ones. But, you know, it's, I fell in love with that, which led me to playing the writer's rounds, which led me to realizing there's this gap. And so 2000, 2006, the listening room was founded. Right. And so you took full ownership along the way and then it, you moved locations to downtown Nashville. Now, when you dove headfirst into this and you took ownership of it and you moved it to Nashville and you began creating this thing, were you of the mindset that you were leaving the artist path behind or in the first few years, were you towing that line of being a business owner and trying to build this thing up, but also wanting to be a songwriter and maybe wanting to push that forward as well? Yeah. When I first started it, uh, you know, I was like, man, I, I wanted to create a place that would be really cool for, for me to play with my friends. Um, and then, it, you know, through that, I miss being on stage. I actually, my wife had some friends over last night for my birthday and we sat out on the back porch and, um, you know, played, played guitar and, um, sang songs and just kind of, you know, took turns like, you know, our little writers round, uh, on the back porch. And I, you know, I love it. Um, but I just don't get the opportunity to do it much anymore. Um, and it's kind of like, I let so much time go by that now it's just weird for me to get up on stage or the listening room. Right. It's a lot easier to go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, I, you know, I, um, when I've, first started, I, you know, I, I knew I, I wasn't going to go down that artist path anymore. Um, and I think there was probably this, this thought in my mind, that like, Hey, if something, if, if, if someone knocks on my door, then I'm open to it. 
but going back to like wanting uh wanting the best sound in nashville i needed that because i have a very good ear um and with that very good ear i also started to realize that in st louis i had a pretty good following in nashville i could hear everybody else around me that was like wow they are so much better than i am right so, I started to realize that I had a true talent for crafting a song and doing that a lot better than I did performing the songs as an artist. So yeah, that's when it kind of shifted for me and was like, you know, this is a, this is a world that I, I didn't plan to go down, but it, it feeds my love of music and lets me do that on the business side. And now having a, a management company, um, and and other things in in music as well that I that I'm able to do and it just yeah so it it's just kind of the the path worked and it hasn't been an easy path that's for sure i saw that at one point near the beginning you were the dishwasher the cook the bartender just in order to make this thing work and you've changed locations a couple of times so was there a point where like you saw it becoming something and you saw it becoming a top venue in Nashville and somewhere that artists were wanting to play that, that really was on second Avenue. Um, so 2006 to 2008 was in Franklin, moved it downtown, uh, to a place called Cummins station in 2008. That's when I bought my partner out, um, and took sole ownership. And then moved it to second Avenue in 2012. Um, so that's really where it started to change, um, uh, as far as like seeing it on, you know, write write ups in magazines and, you know, just all these kind of things that I, I didn't even, I was getting phone calls like, Hey, did you know that you're in Southern living magazine? I'm like, what, you know, just that, that was really cool, but kind of going back before that, you know, really the pivotal moment for me that was like, oh my gosh, this is going to work. Um, a couple songwriters figured out that I was really, really struggling back when I was the dishwasher, the bartender, the cook, the sound engineer, the, you know, everything. Right. Um, and I would put a smile on my face and I would act like everything was fine, but I was sleeping on the concrete floor in the venue many nights because by the time I drove home, I'd have to be back in four or five hours. Um, and it just was, you know, I was, um, I was letting all of my personal finances go in order to just pay everything that I could to keep the doors open. And I just believed in it. And, um, you know, there's just, there was just this burning in me that like my, my mom and dad always said, like, we don't quit our family. Like it, with our family, we don't quit, you know, like going back to the sports analogy, like I would play basketball or baseball or whatever. And there were times where I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it anymore. And my dad would say, you don't have to do it next year, but you signed up. And in this house, when we start something, we don't quit. And that was just a burning inside of me that was like, I can't let this fail. Um, so a couple songwriters found out, how bad I was struggling. They put together the first annual TLR appreciation days. It was like, it was, we called it the writer's block. And, um, it was, um, it was a benefit for me 
for the listening room and it ended up becoming the last annual uh, but it also that is that is where everything changed it was the the date that this happened was a couple weeks after the the big nashville flood okay and it just hit me that was like i can't i can't take this um and we had a full house um standing room only it was packed it was it was incredible day and uh i was donating a small portion of the proceeds to hands on nashville um that's a kind of a quarterback nonprofit that would give to like other nonprofits or you know those in need right and i put an old band back together and i was on stage singing a song that i wrote called why don't you fall um and it's it's talks about like how when you're going through those hard times, just let God carry you through it. And it, it just like, I was like, I'm singing these lyrics, but I'm like taking this money to help me keep a venue open when people have lost their houses and their cars and their everything that they had and, and worse family, you know, family people, you know, people died in, in it. So I looked over um, at uh, a very good friend that was standing and was running hands on Nashville. And I was like, Hey, hundred percent of this goes to you today. And you know, if it's, if it's the, the will will keep going. And if it's not, at least I go out doing something good. And um, I mean, Brendan, I didn't, I didn't change anything. I, I, I still didn't have staff. I still don't have money, you know, it was like, and all of a sudden that was a Saturday all of a sudden that next Monday I showed up to work and people just, it wasn't overnight, but people just started coming and more and more people started coming and we started getting busy and it was like, wow, like this is amazing. And so that kind of opened the door that, that flood of people was like, all right, I think we can make this work. And then, um, and then we found the place on second Avenue that was just a lot better um, venue for what we were trying to do. So we moved it there and people kept coming. And that was, that was where I was like, okay, like the listening room has a name. Right. And what has it been like on the sort of artist side and following the careers of the artists that you've had a chance to be with along this journey? Like one of the big ones that I noticed was Fillmore. Like you've been with him ever since he was in his band, The Lookout, when he first moved to Nashville and you've been sort of connected to him and he's he's played the listening room many, many times over the years. And so what is it like to be on the journey with these artists as they're growing within the industry? Dude, that's my that's that's the best thing about what I'm able to do. I mean, it's just um, yeah, Fillmore uh, is from a town called Kennett, Missouri. And that's where my grandparents lived. Oh, okay. Uh, and full circle, Doug Howard that brought me to Nashville was working with Tyler. And he said, uh, he called me and he was like, Hey, there's this guy coming to town. I want you to write with him. I want you to hang out with him. Like, you know, show him the ropes and all that. And we just hit it off. He's just a great, great dude. And, um, his, uh, his brother drew was our sound guy for a while. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, like Carly Pierce is another like, you know, that played listening room all the time and and still is a, a very good friend and Brett Young and um, 
Chris Stapleton, like he and I had never like, I wouldn't call him a great friend. We were more acquaintances. He like, you know, I'd hang out with, with, with these other guys, but you know, Stapleton was like, you know, I've got videos of him like playing second Avenue and pointing up at the balcony at me going, Hey, this next song is from a buddy, Chris up there. It's one of his favorites. And, you know, I mean, this is before he just blew up, you know I mean? Just, I could go on and on and on, but like, you know, watching, watching people struggle. Um, and it's, it's also, it's not just on the artist side. I mean, there's a guy, Phil Barton, that's a great, great songwriter. And he came from Australia. And I, I mean, I was watching that guy write literally two songs a day, sometimes three songs a day. The only vehicle he had was a little moped that he would drive around town in the middle of winter because he couldn't afford a car. And all of a sudden, like, you know, the, it, it, go look him up. He's got hit after hit after hit after hit after hit, you know? And it's like, I could list 30 to 50 songwriters that I know like that, that, um, you know, never had the aspiration to be an artist that everybody knows as a household name, but, you know, they're the ones that are listed on half of the number one hits that you hear on country radio. So it's just, yep. yeah, you know, and then, and then also going back to like my band days, um, you know, where I would play and cover these like nineties and early 2000 bands, um, you know, and, and becoming good friends with them, you know, uh, Dean Sam's, uh, from Lone Star. I mean, we used to cover Lone Star songs all the time, Richie McDonald and, um, you know, I just, I talked to Dean three days ago, you know, and it's just like, it's just that, that is the coolest thing just to be connected, like, and, and be able to, to watch, you know, and sit at home and watch the ACMs or, or be there at the ACMs and watch these people go across the stage and, um, accept these awards. And, um, we were just at the ACM honors awards not too long ago and, you know, Carly's hosting it, you know, it's just, it's, it's, Man, it's just so cool. I love it. Right. And off the start of our conversation, you mentioned the Garth Brooks concert that sort of started this whole thing. Yeah. And then in 2020, he graced the stage at the listening room. Now, what was that experience like? Was that the sort of biggest moment within this journey for you? There are so many. I don't know. I don't know if I could say a biggest moment, but that is that is up there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's... um if not the biggest, it's, it's one of the top two or three. Um, and I had, at that point, I had gotten to the point where I had met Garth several times through other things, leadership music that I'm a part of and, um, you know, just different things. Um, and I actually, uh, I was his daughter, Allie, um, still plays the listening room quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, she's absolutely incredible as well. And, uh, there was a, you know, there was a moment where I met Garth and Trisha, um, at a, at an event with leadership music. And that was the second or third time that I'd met him. And, um, and I just, you know, I, I, he didn't know who I was, um, or I didn't think he did. And I just, you know, I was walked up and I was like, Hey man, I've, you know, just wanted to say, Hey, I've always been a fan. And he looked at me, he's like, you're the listening room guy, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Chris. And uh, he's like, man, thank you so much for letting my daughter play. And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't think I even said anything. I was just blown away that he even knew who I was. 
Um, so then going back to 2020, I'm standing outside waiting for, for the car to pull in so that I can escort them into the green room. Because obviously, I mean, they, we had fans standing in the parking lot waiting. Right. Yeah. And he he pulls in. I've got a mask on. It's middle middle of COVID. It was a private show, taping, very safe, all that. But you know, it was kind of planned, and so I had a, a mask on. He gets out and he looks at me, and he's like, "What's up, Chris? I recognize that face behind that mask." And there's a group of probably I don't know ten, fifteen fans out in this parking lot that we've got bodyguards trying to like keep them back. And he's, he's like, Hey guys, one second moves the bodyguards walks over and talks and signs an autograph for every single person that was standing out there before he walked in. That's just, that's just how that guy is. And then, you know, we, we had a probably a 30, 45 minute conversation in the green room and, you know, just talked about like, you know, how, it was George Strait for him, you know, getting him going. It that that the reason that I am in Nashville, chasing this dream that ended ultimately ended up allowing the listening room to be open, was because of Garth, and that was yeah, it was a a really really cool moment to to have him on stage. That's amazing. And within this journey, I mean, you're running this venue, you're a part of many charitable organizations, you have your management company, you're a pilot, you have all these things going on. You have a family. Is there ever too much? If you're asking me, no. <laughs> if you're asking my wife, yes. It's all too much. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's what I, I love. I, I'm, I am not built to sit on a beach and relax. That's not me. You know, it's, I'm, I'm always, um, what's next? How can I help someone? What can I do? Um, you know, and just, uh, it, yeah, I just, I love it. So. And, and I saw you mention one time, I think sort of following your heart versus following your brain. And now what is that like within this career with a passion for music and having it within your heart, but being a businessman and having to maybe more use the brain and the analytical thinking within this journey? How do you balance those two things? By having a really good, great team. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Business is tough, especially in, in the music industry. Um, combined with the restaurant industry you know we are we are a music venue that's why people come but what keeps us in business is the restaurant business so you know that is one of the hardest businesses to run period you know it's just it's a very low net profit um lots of issues you know it's it's tough so how do I balance it by being the visionary of the company and having a great integrator that can listen to 10 of my crazy ideas that I come up with on a daily basis. And he goes, this one will work. The other ones throw them away. We'll talk tomorrow. And, um, it took me a long, long time to get to that point. Um, but I, would not be here today if it weren't for 
my entire team. You know, they're at the restaurant, they're working hard. Um, you know, and and yeah, it's it's them. It's it's having the right people around you. Right. And now you opened the second location last year in Pigeon Forge. And now the state of business, I mean, it's not getting any easier. Prices are rising. The economy is really in flux every day. And so what does the future hold within this business and continuing to drive forward within the current economy? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question, right? Uh, you know, like, I I don't know what the future holds. And that's what makes it tough. But that's also what makes it makes it exciting. And you know, I think why um, us crazy entrepreneurs love this life because it is, it's not a constant. It's always, every single day is different. So, you know, what I hope to do is continue to expand. I would love to have a listening room in Austin and, you know, LA, New York, Atlanta, you know, like great music slash tourist cities, even, you know, like, um, Charleston or, you know, what, you know, places that maybe aren't as big in the music, but are great places that people like to visit. Um, and the same thing, that's what led us to pigeon forge. You know, I love the smoky mountains. It's beautiful. And, um, there wasn't anything like that in that area. Um, now we've been open for just over a year and, we haven't had one month of profitability. Oh, wow. So it's tough, you know, and it's like, um, thankfully Nashville is doing well enough to cover those losses, but you know, it's going into a new market is just, it's just tough and figuring out, you know, how, how, how to get the word out and let people know when they come in pigeon forge, people are like, Oh my gosh, this is the, this is the best thing that we've had in town in a long time. Like, this is amazing. They love it, but it's the same size as Nashville and you've got 300 seats and you got 30 people there. It's, it's tough. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we just, we'll, we'll keep pushing and you know, that's again, it's the big question. I don't know what the future holds, but um, I've got to turn that around in pigeon forge and, um, and make that, be successful. And I think we can do that. Um, you know, and then kind of figure out that market, um, of where we go next and, you know, keep growing. And within the growth and within getting busier and, and driving this in different directions, I saw in, in late 2019, the stress and anxiety of this business career sort of caught up to you. And I think it landed you in the hospital just because of the way you were feeling. And so within this, as you drive forward, how do you balance that? How do you not let that anxiety and that stress overcome you as you're trying to continually build this? Yeah. Again, that kind of goes back to having the right team. It was that moment that I was just, that I kind of was like, I can't do this all. Right. You know, I, um, I had to bring people in that were better at me in certain areas and could focus on, um, you know, because I would come up with all these ideas all the time. It's just how I'm wired as a creator, but then I would also try to execute them and follow through and all, you know, it was just, and it was a lot. 
And um, yeah, it was, it, it was just, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things kept piling up and piling up to where, you know, I ended up in the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack and it ended up, luckily it was, it was a panic slash anxiety attack, but I, you know, I had never experienced anything like that. And, you know, to be woken up in the middle of the night in a deep sleep because your, your chest is in so much pain that you can't breathe. And I rolled over and fell out of the bed. I mean, my, you know, it, it was, it was scary, but yeah, that was the, that was the change that, you know, I just have to constantly remind myself of that. And, you know, I'm not very good at it. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a sit on the beach and relax kind of guy, but, um, but I've learned how to let things roll off my shoulders a little easier, breathe a little easier and know that at the end of the day, everything that we're doing is, you know, it's, it's God's will. And that's just, you know, people have different beliefs. That's just, that's, that's my belief. And like, um, everything I'm doing is, is his and it's, uh, he'll get us through it or he won't. And if you didn't have that faith within your life, do you think you would be able to get through this? No, no, I don't. I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, it, it caught up on me because I was trying to do everything myself before. And that's what ended, ended up putting me in the hospital. You know, and when I kind of just give it away, it's like, I'm not doing anything different really, as far as what I physically do every day. It's just that mindset of, um, you know, I can only do so much and, you know, it's, um, it's just a different way to look at things, I guess. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. The listening room, people can check it out if they're in Nashville or Pigeon Forge. And I know you have some artists that you're working with that uh are releasing music do you want to talk about them for a sec yeah i've got a couple um so yeah with my management company i've got fiona coley um who is uh got some really big big things happening behind the scenes right now and in the studio and you'll be seeing some new music um from her early 2023 um so that's really exciting uh, and then AJ cross cross with a K, um, same thing with him. You know, we've got a, um, uh, an agent on board and are building the team and he's been playing out a lot and, uh, building the fan base and, um, writing a lot. And we've got new music coming with, with him too. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Thank you guys once again so much for listening and thank you to Chris for stopping by and sharing his story. If you haven't already, please be sure to check us out on social media. We're available on all platforms. So just head over, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow. You can also find us at countrymusicmademe.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music